You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. Dave McBride, thank you so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget, you can help out the show by leaving us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, I invite you to join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show at Digging Oak Island. Okay, let me let you in on a little bit of uh, inside baseball here with the podcasting world. Here is how my week normally works. I watch the show on a Tuesday night. I generally watch it again on a Wednesday morning. I then spend the next two days, most of Wednesday, all of Thursday, researching and also writing a script for a podcast Then I record on Friday and try to get it recorded, edited, and posted all by the end of Friday. Sometimes that doesn't work out that way, and it happens on Saturday. This week, with Thanksgiving here, uh, I just did not have time to do any, even near half of that. So what I'm doing today is something a little different from what we're used to here on the Digging Oak Island podcast. What I'm doing is basically just giving you sort of Dave's Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of view of the show. Rather than reading off a script or writing or researching or anything like that, I basically watched the show Tuesday night, watched again Wednesday morning, took a lot of notes as I'm going through uh, through the show, and now I'm just really going to uh, give you my thoughts. This might be a shorter show than normal, but I just, with the time constraints, I wanted to get a podcast out, and I just didn't want to uh, let a week go by. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go over this episode, just again, kind of my thoughts as I'm watching it. Um, I might ramble a bit. This is, as they say in the business, live to tape. So I do apologize. If this, if this is your first time ever listening to the Digging Oak Island podcast, please listen again. It's usually a lot more put together. <laughs> I'm usually a lot more eloquent than you're going to hear me here today. Um, also, one of the things we're going to do today is we're not going to go through the emails um, that we usually get, and I do have a ton. If you got, if you sent them in to me, don't worry about it. We will get to them. I'll answer them all on next week's show. And I'm not going to talk about the Beyond Oak Island episode, which also uh, we'll talk about briefly next week. Um, so just you know, keep subscribed, come back and see us next week, and we'll catch up on all that kind of stuff. But what we have to talk about today is Season 8, Episode 3, The Curse of Oak Island, called If the Ox Shoe Fits. They really enjoy their uh, their bad puns. Anyway, I want to begin, before I take my first break here, I just want to begin with, there's basically two areas that we talk about here on this particular episode, the Swamp and Lot 15. However, we do have some follow-up on this coin that Gary pulled out at the end of episode one and then wouldn't show the guys until episode two. And you remember what I'm talking about. It's a coin with a square hole in the middle. Alex Lagina brings this to the interpretive center where they have a lot of equipment, you know, microscopes and that kind of thing for uh, Kelly Barasa to look at. We've met Kelly last year. Um, he does this kind of stuff. He's, he, you know, it's not an archaeologist. I think it's like a conservist or something. I forget what the name is that they gave for Kelly. Um, but we met him last year. He works with this kind of stuff. Uh, he's cleaning it up. He's looking at, the, you know, he does this for all sorts of artifacts. Anyway, he's the first guy to really look at this that isn't, you know, a member of, you know, it isn't Gary Drayton or one of the Laginas. Um, 
Also in this scene, we get the first really good close-up photograph of the coin, a good image, full screen image that we finally get. I'll post that on our Facebook page uh, and on our uh, Twitter pages. Um, so you can get a look at it yourself so you can really kind of pick it apart and take a good close look at it. Uh, there's an interesting thing. As Kelly looks at it, he makes this kind of offhand remark. Uh, that He says some equipment might need that. I guess he's saying that it might be a coin or it might just be like a washer of some kind or something like that. It does not expand on that at all on what option this could be besides a coin. Uh, but he does mention it on quick look just his initial look. Uh, and also, he says that he calls it hints of a coin. I'll put that in quotes. Um, nothing definitive. Um, he doesn't seem to be certain it's a coin. He seems to be leaning towards some things because of some of the edging on it and that kind of thing. The narrator <laughs> seems pretty sure it's a coin, but I think at this point, even with Mr. Barassa looking at it, we can't say for sure that it is. Now, I told you in the past that I thought it was a Chinese cash coin. Um, I think that's what it is. If it is indeed a coin, it needs to be cleaned up a lot more than we saw it. Here's the thing. Until it is, I know they're not going to give us any options besides a coin. If it's a copper piece that has a hole in the middle of it like that, and we can't define it as a coin, we can't come to a certainty that it is, uh, you know, we got to start looking around for what it possibly could be. Uh, until then, we're leaning that way, but that's the best we can say. Leaning towards it being a coin. Okay, like I said, I'm rambling too much here already, but the show begins in the war room. This is sort of the official debrief for Marty, Rick, Alex, and um, Peter Fernetti, their nephew. Remember, they were off the island for the first two episodes, or most of the first two episodes, came back on the island. This is the first time they sort of sat down in the war room and kind of gotten brought up to speed. I think this is all really kind of forced, but whatever. Uh, there's two main subjects they're talking about, work going on in the swamp, and of course, work going on in Lot 15. Uh, let's start with the swamp. They're talking here about this corner feature. Dr. Spooner did a, the swamp doctor, Ian Spooner from Acadia University, did a sonar read over there and found something that he thought might have been a wall. Uh, this is the feature he's focusing on. And as they start talking about this, Rick tells this interesting story of how Fred Nolan, when Fred and Dan were fighting, Fred Nolan kind of, he says surreptitiously, uh, he, he went and drew the swamp down so he can search in it of course he didn't own all of the swamp but uh he did it anyway and when dan made him fill it all back in because of course they were fighting over literally anything so dan blankenship comes and makes him fill it back in as he's filling it back in fred said something like did you see that shaft over there in the corner of the swamp now is that really what fred saw is he just being hyperbolic just to try to get under dan's skin it's impossible to say Again, we've talked many times about Fred Nolan, the guy he was. Um, you know, say what you will about him. Uh, he was serious about what he did, but he also seemed to embellish just a little bit. So who knows? It's possible to say. Now, this brings me to an interesting question. And this has happened the last couple of times here as well. We're doing a lot of talk about Fred and Dan recently. And it's because we're really focusing our time and effort on these old 
surveys and old maps. We're going to talk more about the old map in Lot 15 uh, when we have talked about it already already quite a bit in the last couple episodes. So go back and listen to those if you really want to get up to speed with it. Um, We've talked a lot about how these two worked together and then feuded. And then the narrator says something interesting where he talks about how some of the research would have been lost due to the feud. And it's only now being uncovered. And I, I got to question what he means by that. And, and I, don't, I just don't understand how that could be. They did their research together. Somebody kept the research, right? How would it have been lost to time? So the, what we're worried about here is the fact that Fred, no, Fred Nolan saw something pointed out to Dan, a shaft in the swamp, and then a possible tunnel entrance, which again, which I'll mention in Lot 15, and then it was just forgotten about. Well, it seems like what we're saying here is that the reason why it was forgot about is because there was this feud between these two guys. And I just got to tell you right now, I'm not so sure that's a good reason why there's, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. That just doesn't compute. Anyway. The swamp discussion here in the war room ends with this very weird conversation between Rick and Gary where they're talking about what they're going to do with the spoils. If you quickly miss this, basically what they were talking about was if we excavate through there, take, you know, buckets full out of dirt out of there, do we just put it on the side and let Gary metal detect through it or do we run it through a wash plant, run it through the whole table or I think he said the wash plant. Um, I'm not sure why we needed to see that. That seems to be a portent of things to come. Uh, again, I don't know what that was all about, but be that as it may, uh, that was the conversation we got. And for some reason, they made a point of putting that little thing, what are we going to do with the spoils, into this conversation. Leads me to believe, again, that there might be something to that later on. A couple of minutes later in the show, we're actually in the swamp now uh, with the Laginas as well as Billy Gerhardt, Scott Barlow, who's sort of the project manager, the foreman for the island, and Dr. Ian Spooner. And this is an interesting scene because Spooner, they're talking about, could this possibly have been at one point a harbor or a cove uh, and, you know, the swamp itself, and certainly didn't have a road in front of it, but rather than being a swamp, was it actually kind of leading straight out into open water? And Spooner says, in, in a change that it quote unquote probably was a harbor. And I say it's a change because he's he, what he is saying, what he's indicating in this is that we thought kind of maybe, and now we think, yeah, it probably was. We're leaning more towards the probable that this area was in not the not too distant past, an area that could have been accessed by ships into a harbor. So that's kind of what we're looking for here. The team then discusses putting up a coffer dam. Now, I think I might have mentioned this in the preseason or in the preview that uh, we did get some information that there was coffer dam material coming into Oak Island or coming onto Oak Island, but it wasn't used in Smith's Cove. It was the same stuff, the same company. We got that from people who live close by. Um, and we didn't know what it was for. So we kind of opined a bit about what could it be? Or could it be that they're doing kind of a semi-big dig and they need something to keep the water out? But here's what it's for. They're going to build a coffer dam in this corner of the swamp, which is a very interesting <laughs> decision because think of all the things that we have found, right? We found a seismic hit that Maddie Blake calls a ship, which clearly wasn't. But anyway, it's there. We find the paved structure, things in the eye of the swamp. We didn't build a coffer dam for any of that. 
this, I guess because of its proximity to the ocean, because it's the area they're looking for is right on the corner, right on the other side of the road from the actual beach. Uh, they're requiring a full-size cofferdam, and they're going to excavate a much larger area than just the part that they're talking about, but not the whole swamp. They're going to do just sort of the, it looked to me like sort of 30% of it over in that southeastern corner. Anyway, it's something to look forward to for those of us who are interested in these kind of things. Be uh, neat to see what happens. Later on, Rick and Marty and Scott Barlow are on a video call with the guys from Irving Equipment Limited. These are the guys who made, built the cofferdam. These are the guys who installed it. And this is an incredibly hard project. But um, And they're talking to them via video conference about the idea of doing this new cofferdam. They're talking to them in their lift lab, which I think is awesome. And one of the guys they're speaking to is the pile driving manager. How did I miss that calling in life? I, I don't understand. Anyway, this is obviously, according to the guys from Irving, going to be a huge project. And I think he said it's going to take something about a month or so just to get the gear onto the island, the stuff that they need to do it. So it's kind of weird that we're on this stage. You know, it's got to be July and we're only now coming to this idea that we want to do this. I'm, but I guess it's, again, because we have to figure out a way to get this stuff on the island uh, in <laughs> in conjunction with the COVID-19 regulations. Uh, it, this was, and again, the time frame of the show always jumps around. We talk about this quite a bit. I My understanding of when this cofferdam material came onto the island was not, we're not talking early July. This was definitely much later in the season that it actually made it there and they did this. So there is, you know, some room to play here. Uh, and there is certainly going to be, you know, some big work done here in the swamp. Anyway, let's take a quick break again. I'm rambling. Uh, <laughs> and we'll come back and we'll talk about lot 15. Okay, so let's now move our attention to lot 15. I'm really going to ramble here. I got pages and pages of notes. I'm sure you can hear me fumbling through these here, so I apologize for that. But got pages of notes on lot 15. Lot 15 seems to be the bulk of this particular episode. I think it may end up being in the long run that the swamp is the bulk of the season. You know, the content of the season, sort of this year's Smith's Cove when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, but for this show, it's lot 15. And we go back to that initial war room debrief. Uh, when, with Marty and Rick and, and, and Alex and Peter. Um, and in that debrief, they're talking about Lot 15 and the work being done. Now, last week, they went over to Lot 15. They saw archaeologist David McGinnis, plus the other people he's working with, and Laird Niven is there too. And they told them about how what they're finding is evidence of something called a pine tar kiln. This is a kiln to fire and create uh, pine tar, which was basically a ubiquitous item in maritime application used on the bottom of boats, used all over boats for all sorts of things. Anyway, this is what they see here is a pine tar kiln, but what they're working at now, what the archaeologists are looking at now, is a layer of rocks that are actually underneath this tar kiln, and they don't seem to be consistent at all with the operation or the construction of a kiln. So this seems to be something different, something underneath the, the kiln. Not sure we know much yet, but anyway... Later on in the show, the Laginas go out to Lot 15, and you actually see Mr. McGinnis showing them this new feature. And what he says is that it looks like someone was actually purposely piling rocks to fill something in, like to fill in a well. So he's seeing sort of piles of rocks here. Definitely 
weird kind of thing to see. It's also hard to visualize in the picture they're giving us here. We don't really see what he's talking. We just see a few rocks. They're guilty of this a lot, right? Of not showing us sort of the bigger picture of what they're looking at or contextualizing it with animation or something along those lines. Uh, but we, we can glean from what the archaeologist is saying here. He says that the Pintar kill now looks like it's from the early 1700s. He mentions that in here. Now, that's a change. Got to keep all this straight, right? Couple of When we first discovered it, we were told uh, that off-camera, they had went and discussed this with Carmen Legg, uh, the blacksmithing expert, and Carmen Legg said that it was from 1550 to 1620. So this is a difference of a century now. We're talking about early 1700s. So... This is a big change. It's important to keep that in mind. Um, also, in all of this, <laughs> we bring in this talk again about Fred Nolan and Dan Blankenship. And they're searching this area because Fred pointed out, and we've said this in the last couple episodes, Fred pointed out twice that this was uh, the potential tunnel entrance that he had found when doing a survey. And finally, somebody's acknowledging all this because Marty says that it, and he uses the phrase really weird, that something like this would be known by Fred and Dan as a possible tunnel entrance, yet it was ignored. Now, I've been saying this for two episodes. I'm so happy Marty <laughs> finally, uh, you know, uh, said it out loud. Very weird is, is, you know, again, it seems like an understatement to me. It's very strange. You're telling me that these two incredibly life-dedicated Oak Island hunters thought there was a tunnel entrance here on Lot 15 and just never touched the entire lot to look? Um, anyway, it just, it just, you know, we're talking about finding these things that were in Dan's files. These were things that were when they were discovered and done. Fred put a lot of time into this, probably a lot of money into it. Dan... I'm sure combed it over a hundred times. We're not talking about unearthing some ancient document from, you know, a dungeon somewhere in, you know, <laughs> in, in the middle of Eastern Europe or something. We're talking about an item that was filed in a filing cabinet for all intents and purposes. So for the longest time, we've been discussing this as being this incredible find when I always said that I thought it was really weird, and I'm glad finally that Marty thinks that as well. Anyway, Marty brings in a backhoe to help them <laughs> do this. You can't. Uh, it's an archaeological site, so you can't take a backhoe in there and just scoop out dirt and throw it off to the side. So what they're actually doing is lowering the backhoe into the hole, pushing these giant rocks onto the hoe so that the backhoe can pick it up and remove it. Uh, it's a slow process when you work with archaeologists. Um, it's just, you know, these, we're all so used to just going at it with heavy machinery, but it's slow and it's going to be a little while before we get to the bottom of this, I would think, depending on how they edit out the show. Anyway, later on in another section of lot 15, all close to the same area, um, Gary and Jack are metal detecting. This is becoming sort of a, a little bit of their own show, the Gary and Jack show. And while they're doing this, they find, I think three ox shoes, two or three. Can't remember exactly. The narrator starts then connecting the finding of an ox shoe. And if you don't know what I mean by that, I'm like, you know, you put a shoe on a horse to protect their, their hooves as they're working, did the same thing with oxen. So the narrator starts connecting the finding of these ox shoes to a possible treasure, the burying of treasure. And admittedly, Jack and Gary do as well. Um, folks, we've talked about this many, many times before. 
probably the most famous incident of oxen on uh, <laughs> on Oak Island is the genesis of what we now call the cave-in pit. In the 1870s, there wasn't a lot of work being done on the island. Um, Sophia Sellers, who was the daughter of a land one of the principal landowners of the Money Pit area, um, fell into a sinkhole that developed while her and her team of oxen <laughs> were farming in the area. Now, it's not Lot 15. It's a few hundred yards to the east where they fell in. But oxen were being used. Uh, they were being used by Miss Sellers. It's not unusual to find them there. Um, so at first, my initial reaction, although it kind of gets a little better as it goes on, my, and my initial reaction was, well, of course we're finding ox shoes here. This, this doesn't seem to be... Um, out of the realm of possibility or even all that unusual. Uh, Gary points out that it's weird to find it here in Lot 15 because this wasn't an area that was farmed because this is a rocky area. And the first thing we're doing here is relating the money pit to the swamp, the money pit to the swamp. All these ox shoes are found in that area. And that might be interesting. I'll get to that in a little bit. But do we know where Miss Sellers kept her oxen? Do we know where, where anybody who... Who was there? Did they have a barn not far off? Did they walk through this area to get to the part they farm? Who knows? Okay. All I'm saying is we have to get more, and we do get more in just a bit, and we'll get right that. We'll get to that in just a second. At this point, though, I have to admit I was really kind of frustrated with the hyperbole, um, you know, <laughs> of just assuming these things are the sign of a treasure somewhere. But again, wait, hold on. They also then find an old pin. Now Gary pulls this out and thinks it might be from a harness. And it looks like a, like a pin with a little um, round ball on the top. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a good size thing. And he thinks that thinks it might be from a harness that you would actually put the rings around in part of the harness. Uh, it turns out to be even a lot more interesting than that. Jack and Alex then take these ox shoes and this pin up to Carmen leg. He tells them that they're all different. The shoes are all different. They're all for different size animals and even different seasons. He points out summer shoes to winter shoes because of ice and that kind of thing. Um, so he can actually look at them and tell the difference between what they are. Jack is, at this point, trying to make all of this seem military, right? They keep pointing this out. They're very, they're very enthusiastic to connect the British military because that's another thing that, that Carmen says, Carmen Legg says that they're, that their ox shoes aren't civilian or military, doesn't know which one's which. Uh, they're all the same. Shoes are shoes. But Jack is still, before we even get any military hint here, he's, is this, could this be military? Could this be military? I found that weird. But again, we'll get to it. Um, he, uh, Carmen Legg says these are 1650 to 1750. And, uh, you know, at this point, we're talking about what this could mean. You know, there's a team of oxen there used across seasons and that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's very interesting. Then both Alex and Jack are trying to connect in here the military presence for this third shoe, which was made for a winter, right? Uh, it's so we're not just farming in the summer. Why would we use an ox in the winter? It must be the military is doing this. And he even says that, quote, it indicates. Not only there was a large-scale industrial or military activity happening, end quote. At this point, I just don't know what he's getting at and why he keeps saying this. 
The finding of an ox shoe means there was a lot of oxen used on the island. We know that. <laughs> that's not that's not unusual by any means. Again, hold on. We're getting there just a bit. I'm giving you my sort of play-by-play as I'm watching it. Now, I admit it is weird to find three different ox shoes all in one similar place. I guess it's weird. I have no way of knowing. Uh, but is it really that weird, though? Like, does it really indicate a military or large-scale industry? Do we, do we find three ox shoes all within a few hundred yards or whatever it is, a few hundred feet? Does that mean we have a military or industrial complex here? Uh, I mean, everyone used teams of oxen. Like I told you, Sophia Sellers used a team of oxen. So is it certainly not that weird to have more than one oxen? So why is it weird to have multiple ox shoes found in the same place if it was a place that a farmer often traveled with these oxen? I don't know. I'm just trying to throw in some questions for you, stuff for you to think about, uh, stuff that I think about as we're going through with all this. Again, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Um, It's just difficult to kind of put it all together and figure out, kind of cut through the chaff and cut through the hopeful treasure hunter stuff and get to kind of another explanation. You're never given that other explanation. Anyway, I... Again, at this point, I'm ready to go off on this hyperbole. I'm writing notes down, what I'm going to say about how ridiculous this is, how they're jumping to conclusions. And then we get to the pin, which Carmen Legg says is made of cast iron. So it, it's not functional. That means it's ornamental. It's, it's, you know, for looks. And he says, quote, the only thing it could be is a sort of like a finial on the top of an ox cart, just a decorative top, not civilian. If it was on an ox cart, it would have been military, end quote. So here we go. They got their wish, a military connection. It's almost like they were waiting for a military connection, some way to tie in the military here. Now, for those of you who don't know what a finial is, uh, it's kind of one of those little sort of decorative pieces. You see them on the top of banisters, on the on the end of uh, curtain rods, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's just a, that little kind of ball piece, circular piece at the end of a pin or some, that kind of stuff. Um, Leg says that a civilian, Carmen Leg says that a civilian ox cart just wouldn't have something like that. Not at this time. It's too expensive, too difficult to make, and it's just an expense that, that a civilian wouldn't use for an ox cart. You know, it makes all the sense in the world. He thinks this points to the British military. Now, far be it from me to doubt Carmen Leg, but that did seem, check me if I'm wrong, folks. Feel free to email me, <laughs> diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, at diggingoakisland. Um, it seemed like he was making quite a conclusion off of something that he initially looked at and said, well, we'd have to clean it up a bit to see what it really is. Because it's not very clean. There's not any detail in it. It's difficult to see what exactly it is. He seems to be drawing a lot of conclusions. And it seems like we need to clean this up a lot more. And it'll be interesting to see if they ever are able to do that. And if they do, if it confirms what he says, or we just leave it at this now, right? That's always the key. Do we get a good look at it? Does it get cleaned up and we get it confirmed that that's what this is? A military ornamentation for a wagon or a cart of some of some kind. Because here's how I feel about it. You can feel however way you want, listener. Until I see that, until I see that that cleaned up, that item cleaned up, and that confirmation done, I'm just not ready to say that's what it is yet. I I be I accept Carmen Legg's expertise in all this, uh, but I just don't see it. Anyway, 
I'm willing to accept it and I'm willing to understand that that's where we're going from here, if that's if that makes sense. Anyway, Rick, his, one of his talking heads thing, he says this great line, quote, we have the Templars, we have Rosicrucians, we have pirates. Now we're going to throw the, the British military and all of this. Uh, and, and again, I, I've said this before in the past, but uh, the authors of the Oak Island Mystery Solved um, Gordon Faber and Joy Steele had to be popping champagne again last night because uh, they're the ones who believe this was a naval British naval um, pine tar kiln. So not only did the tar kiln presence confirm their theory, but now the military part of, is also a huge aspect in their theory as well. Uh, and here we go. Now we're, we're really pointing towards their theory. But anyway, the team here is very eager to connect all of this to the British military. And why would they do that? Okay, so I've told you about the theory of Gordon Faber and Joy Steele. That's a theory that says there's no money pit. That's a theory that says there's no treasure. So why would the team want that? Well, they don't. What they want to do, right, is to bring the British military into a treasure story. They want to bring the, the British military into um, as depositors of a potential treasure. We don't get a lot of talk about this, but there has been on the show a bit of talk about what all that entails. And if I were to guess, we're going to start hearing now again about something they called the Havana Theory. Now, a couple of years back, we did a Top 25 Oak Island Theory special, one of these special non-episode episodes um, where they went through the Top 25 episodes. And number nine <laughs> in that list, I feel like David Letterman, uh, was the Havana Theory. Now, basically what it is is this. In the 18th century, England is at war with pretty much everybody at one point or another. And in, in the early, well, in, I said in the middle part of, that, of the 18th century, they were at war with Spain. Now, um, Spain's center of operations in the New World was Havana, Cuba. Now, Spain at this time, the Spanish were a huge global trade presence. And all of the money that they made, all of that wealth from trading and plundering and all the other wonderful things they did, all went back to Europe through Havana, okay? So in this war, the British launch an attack on Havana with basically the idea of breaking their hold on the Caribbean because from Havana is basically where the Spanish, you know, kind of launched everything. So they lay siege to Havana Harbor, specifically a... I guess we'd call it a fort called the Castillo del Moro. Now, this siege went on forever. I'm not going to go through the specifics of it because I don't remember them off the top of my head, uh, but I certainly can do that later on. If we get back to this theory, I, I will certainly uh, expand on the theory a little bit more. But anyway, um, the British siege for months, fighting for weeks. Finally, the British win. They take the castle uh, and literally millions of Spanish treasure millions of dollars worth of spanish coins and treasure and all that kind of stuff now they take this huge loot of stuff back to britain they do so by way of halifax nova scotia which was in british hands at the time this was 1760s i think um now <laughs> the theory is did all the money stolen by 
the people well taken by the British Navy who were leading that battle in Havana. Did all of that money actually make it to the king in England? Did it all go back to London? Or did perhaps some rogue captain stop and keep a bit for himself and uh, maybe uh, bury a large, because there's no way to count it all, right? Bury a large portion of it uh, on a small um, uninhabited island just far away from Halifax to not be noticed. Uh, a small island in the front of Mahone Bay. See, this is the theory. So while <laughs> Joy Steele and Gordon Faber's theory is probably makes a lot more sense than this one, this is, I think, where we're going to go from here is this Havana theory. So keep that in mind as we move along, that maybe where this is all leaning is away from the Templars, away from the Rosicrucians, certainly away from pirates, away from the Founding Fathers even, which was big a couple of seasons ago, right? And now we're going to focus our attention on the British and the Battle of Havana. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Digging Oak Island. Again, I'm sorry it was kind of quick. I actually wasn't that quick. Uh, <laughs> but we will get to all your emails next time. Um, I'm sorry about the rambling and the not well-written podcast here, but I just wanted to get something out for you this week because I thought this discovery here, this idea of bringing the British military, this change in the theorization that the, that the show is working with was worth me coming on and not skipping a week and just talking about it. Um, don't forget, please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast. And if you do enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen. Helps to get the word out on us. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. We're at Digging Oak Island. Also on Twitter, at Digging Oak Island. You can give us a like or a follow there, however you do it. That would be very much appreciated. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me about the show, about your theories, whatever it may be, you can do so via email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Keep in mind... If you do do that, if you do send me a direct message, if you do send me a tweet or a comment about a theory or a, something about a show, uh, I'm going to read it here on the on a future podcast unless you tell me not to. So if you don't want it read on the future podcast, please make sure you make a note of that. If not, I'll try my best to answer them right here on the show because I find these questions and these comments, all the listeners find them pretty interesting and it's great to get you involved. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.